The opinions and views expressed on this podcast in no way represent those that are held by American Football Ireland or the Irish NFL show. As always, guys, this podcast is just a bit of crack, so please, no giving out. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Domestic Game, where we bring you all the insights and stories around American Football Ireland. We're your hosts, Kelly Dwyer, and I'm Robbie Caldwell. Let's get down to it. Well, Kelly, it is great to be back here in the studio recording with you, you know, after my two-week hiatus between yeah. fixing leaks and roofs, attending weddings. Uh, there's a whole lot been going on, but it is absolutely brilliant to be back here to get the chat football with you. Oh, well, sure. It's great. Great to have the band back together. Now, I do have a few things that I have to come after <laughs> you for now after the last two weeks' episodes. You know, with the first one, you got the pensioner of doom, you know, POD, Paul O'Donnell. You know, he's coming here looking for me to get in a cheerleader's outfit. As anyone playing flag football has seen, I do have lovely legs. So, you know, he can attest to it. I think the rest of you can too. If Paul O'Donnell, I'm putting it out there right here, right now, scores a rushing touchdown for the Vipers in the uh, in their next game in this Dunahee International group, he brings me a cheerleader's outfit. I'll be there wearing it for him. Yeah. There's, a call to, there's a call to POD. You get that touchdown. In pod we trust. Get it done, pod. In pod we trust. In pod we trust indeed. Moving on then to the, the Kinahan Coop. You know, <laughs> Joe's attempt to take me out of this uh, podcast, it failed. <laughs> but going back, you know, some absolute great stuff you went through with him, you know, like listening to him talk about the Minotaurs, you know, how they've come along. Uh, even his involvement with the youth system, just going down and seeing guys playing American football in Mullingar at the age of 13, and then how Bill, with the Minotaurs, managed to bring a youth team into existence, and how there are so many players who've come up through through that system, likes of himself, you know, Jack Lynch, being there, being absolute stalwarts for the Minotaurs now, nowadays. You know, they're known around the league, they're known around the country. You know, it's been a great testament to what that club has achieved yeah. you know they're going from strength to strength uh one point that he did say you know how lynch is quite an underweight underrated wide receiver out there i saw him this weekend i've seen him on a few occasions joe ain't lying joe ain't lying joe yeah. ain't lying that guy is a baller an absolute baller you know what he can do on the pitch it's, it's pretty impressive it really is yeah it really is so one of the big things and this is something now that i actually wasn't around to talk about um, because of the two weeks being away with the different things that I was at. I've been famous, fame, getting to your head. <laughs> okay, the real reason I haven't been here, I was holding out contract talks. I wanted to, I wanted to secure that bag. It's done. Money in the bank. He gets a chocolate fountain. <laughs> but what I really wanted to talk about was the women in sport. So... The Belfast City Lions, we saw two amazing touchdowns by Hannah King there um, a couple of weeks ago. From what I thought, and you know, I know many people out there thought that it was actually the first touchdown scored by a female player in American football in Ireland. However, like since those videos went viral, we have heard that there are more and more women who have scored previous years. However, Hannah is still the only woman to score two touchdowns within a game. Watching the videos back there, you know, Maybe the Lions need to work on their cameraman skills. <laughs> I understand the excitement running down the sideline when you're trying to get these plays, but 
absolutely excellent play like from being center you know catching the ball very close into her own half and then getting down the sideline getting through players as you know Joe said on the last episode the players just couldn't flag her she was no. getting around them like absolute athlete out and out baller great to see you know really looking forward to seeing her you know coming along with the Lions and growing squad and absolutely a great sort of you know figure to look towards the Lions already have Helen Smith who's been at the club for you know since its foundation and with the um, Belfast Trojans, Belfast Trojans beforehand and then even with the University of Ulster Coleraine and Elks prior to that you know it's great to see like these women coming along participating in the sport but not just participating in the sport you know being key figures within their own teams absolutely yeah and you know what it's actually an exciting time if you are a woman in this sport because we're seeing it now with the women at the wolfhounds flag training I want to give a shout out to gp and emma and alan all of them shaw as well who are involved um that are deliberately and making these efforts to bring the women up um into like a top-down approach where the women are getting the best coaching that's available in the country so that they can bring it back to their clubs and ultimately dispense that to any other women that might be recruited and you see the likes of hannah uh helen i'm gonna mention myself there and meg as well coming into the um the wolfhounds training and you know training at this level it is a step up but i mean we're we're there we're doing well the other thing is is that the environment is so so supportive of us and it's just an exciting time to be involved because i mean we're only one person away from one side of a flag football team like it's the closest we've ever been to to a female only team a team that's actually always been uh, very good with uh, having female players is the ucc elks um up there at the minute, uh, Kenna White is the chairperson of that club. They've had a, a good few players I know throughout the years playing for them. Like I said earlier, Helen being one of them. And then there was Brooke and Leah as well there in previous years. I remember playing against them. And this seems to be a great, you know, uh ground for bringing in young female players and trying to get them developed and actually with the likes of Kenna bringing them up to positions of seniority and power within the organisation, which is an testament to not only the club, but the college as well. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, you know, it's not nearly um, put to the fore enough. And I feel that, you know, it's more needs to be sort of made about these achievements of these women within the organisation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I think it's always, like I said on the last podcast, but it's a litmus test of any club, how good they can develop talent, how good they can develop players when they can bring women in and those women can do well in those positions that they brought them into. Like it just shows it's a credit to the coaching and the setup of the club. Like so uh, any of those teams that we're seeing, like not just one kind of solitary female doing well, but one, two, three, do you know, it just goes to show what a good organisation that they're coming from. No, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot more that can be said on the issue, but we got a tight schedule that we got to get through. You know, many, many things to talk about with all the action that's been happening over the past weekends around the league. So looking back to last weekend's action, then we have Kitted and the flag. So starting with the Kitted. Heading up to the New Forge, where we had the game between the Antrim Jets and the Causeway Giants, part of the Donaghy Group Invitational Cup. Yeah, and unfortunately the the NI Razorbacks and the Vipers game didn't go ahead. That's unfortunate. I think that uh, COVID just uh, decimated their O-line. I think they had something like nine testing positive. I mean, it's good to see an O-line that close. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so back to the, the Giants and the Jets. That game finished 28-24 in favor of the Giants, but I mean... In favor of the Jets, Kelly. Oh, in favor of the Jets. <laughs> from what from what we've seen, it was an absolute epic game. You know, great sort of start or great sort of test for both teams. Uh, scores going back and forth, you know, with the with the Jets getting the, the first score, um, taking the lead early on. And then, you know, the Giants coming back, leading at halftime. Yeah, I think that a real like momentum changer during that game was the the Jets kind of 99 yard uh, play where they started back on their own one yard line and met it all the way up the pitch to score. And when you get a when you get a play like that, like it just lifts like the team morale and it just starts getting that belief that, yeah, we can move the ball on offense like we can do well. And especially against a team like the Giants, who are just so traditionally strong on defense, like it's going to build a bit of confidence. And then you saw the likes of Orby, Matthew Graham scoring his two touchdowns and one two point conversion. He had an absolute day that's added to his one touchdown against the the Vipers that he had there two weeks ago. It's really been a great, you know, sort of cup campaign for him. Like you say, you know, getting scores in both games. Great start. Looking forward to seeing him now. Game three, interesting you know stuff coming from. Him. Then with the the likes of the Jets, you know QB Scott McLean, you know doing very well. Um, Finding the end zone, yeah, yeah, a place that he is very familiar with. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you've got Kenny Poland, you know making a, a strip and one of the plays, and there's even an interception by Declan Curran there. Yeah, I think he got a. He got, he got a, his interception and also played both ways on that as well with a rushing TD for five yards. So, I mean, just a great game had all around, I think. Like, Ironman football from that man in that heat is impressive. Yeah, you have to admire it. Like, And then in a, in a non-Donahue Group Invitational Cup game, we had a repeat of some action from a few weeks ago with the Knights and the Cowboys taken to the field against each other again. So again, yeah, another great day for the Knights putting the Cowboys away fairly significantly as well. Although the Cowboys, in fairness, started that game very, very well. They got actually the first score of the play. And I think that that game on their first drive, a nice little pass there from QB Peter Lochran. Yeah. And then, you know, Knights roaring straight back at them with Philip Henson, you know, scoring a five-yard Russian TD. And then after that, you know, it was the Spencer McDowell show, slinging balls at Marty Kasky. Uh, twice Kasky found the end zone. Yeah, QB Spencer McDowell found the end zone three times three times with three passes to his wide receivers. The second one there coming from Matt Williamson as well. So I mean great day for them at that stage. Like the Cowboys are looking at a 28-7 lead. They did get a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Again, that was uh from QB Peter Lochran. Nice kind of but nice score, but kind of a consolation score at that stage. Yeah, like at that stage, you know, there was really nothing the Cowboys could do. Um, what can we say? You know, it's like it's just been history repeating itself. Knights coming in, Knights beating Cowboys. I really want to see more from the Cowboys. I believe in them. I know they have, you know, a great system behind them, great team, you know, great players coming up. Um, they're in the Shamrock Bowl this year ahead. These are the sort of tests that they need in order to, you know, sort of solidify the the team spirit and what they can achieve the next game that they have out against the trojans they really need to win this you know it's gonna set a kind of a benchmark for the rest of the year ahead for them yeah and i mean like they're coming off 
like a strong position here they've had two games whereas the Trojans haven't had any games do you know and there's just something about it like they're blooded their rookies are blooded you're just going to have that rust knocked off a good bit more so like I kind of I like the the Cowboys for this matchup I have to say but one thing I will say for the Trojans though is that they are probably ready for this game and ready to go and I know like some of their players have been doing some cool stuff in the off season I have to mention here Connor Whitlaw who has been doing an awful lot of strongman competitions so I mean if you're used to being hit by him get ready to get hit a whole lot harder but ultimately I'm going to probably go with the Cowboys on this one yeah I'm going to be controversial here Kelly and we are not going to be a like podcast up in Belfast but I have to agree with you on that one you know the two games under the Cowboys belt coming into the Trojans I know the Trojans are going to try and get some of their younger players out there as well as some of the new recruits this is a time for the Cowboys to strike and I can see the Cowboys coming away with a victory in Belfast. Yeah, the Cowboys, I mean, at this stage, they have something to prove because they're going up to the SBC conference, as you've said, but they've lost to the Knights who have are coming down to the IFL 1 conference. So if they come in, they win this fixture. That solidifies them as the team that should be in this SBC bowl com- or conference, which they would have traditionally always been. So... I mean, if I'm a Cowboys player, I'm going out onto that pitch on the 25th of July saying I have something to prove here. Yeah, they're there to bleed orange. And that really wraps up the two games we had there this weekend. So I think like now it's only right to move on to the flag football end of things. You know, my forte. And this week's games were held in the ALSAA. Nice, nicely done. In Santry. Got, got that word right. Um, in Santry, as you say, Kelly mad venue absolutely mad venue like big shout out to Trinity for hosting it but there was airplanes flying right over the pitch like throughout the entire day it's right beside the airport it was mental like yeah. you know you're there in a pitch and like it kind of reminded me of playing under 16 football down across McGlen when the army used to send up the helicopter you know bit of PTSD from that experience but something something new like something like not many people are going to experience yeah traditionally would have been the the rebels home pitch yeah and a lot of people were coming up to us on the day being like oh the rebels hosting this but no no it was all trendy's work yeah so interesting the way the games turned out then yeah there are some big big talking points but i think the first one we really need to give a shout out to is possibly this podcast favorite team the uh, Kildara Crusaders yes let's go Crusaders and how like how those guys have come along you know didn't come away with any W's but they are having fun and they are absolutely starting to get rolling like you can just see from what some of the guys done there and it was the first game or the second game they had uh, against the Rebels where Luke Carey one of the Carey brothers scored an incredible run uh, run the entire pitch you know, I think it was a handoff, a fake handoff play to the right, and all the Rebels players bit on it. And, you know, he was just in open space and he was running and puffing and panting and he was getting his way into the end zone, and no one was going to catch that man. Yeah, what I love about the Crusaders is that they are a group of old linemen that are playing flag football. I love this idea that, you know, they might actually start to fancy themselves as wide receivers or even realistically tight end uh, position there where they're they're an option for the pass. Like, but you see that, you see guys like that running all the way down the pitch, like, and it's doable. Like, it is totally doable. Also, sorry, go on. Go on, Kelly. 
Also, if we look at the Crusaders and how they started this season, they have grown and improved so much as a club. And specifically, I think the best test for that is the game against the Pirates that they had on that first weekend out there in Dundalk, where they drew, I think, 12-12, was it? Yeah, that was it, 12-12. That was it. And then you see how they're playing against the Rebels. You just see the difference in how they're doing. Unfortunately, the Pirates didn't have such a good day. No, two losses, two pretty heavy losses for the Pirates. You know, 65 12 against the Mullingar Minotaurs and then losing 56-12 against UCD. UCD had like a good day putting up over 50 points in both their games. Then again, games against Pirates and Crusaders. But now, not to harp on about the Crusaders, Crusaders put up 24 points against UCD in that game. You know, they're moving in the right direction. Like we said, Kelly, two, two tight end sets in kitted football for the Crusaders. That could be a very, very nice option for them. Possibly... The biggest shock of the day was in game one. Game one against Mavericks against Trinity. Yeah, so Trinity, who we had, I think, in that second power-ranked position, and Mavericks, who were down at, like, fourth or fifth. Yeah, pretty low for the Mavericks. Um, But what they did in that first game, uh, two picks against Trinity, holding Trinity to only 13 points, putting up 18 against them. Mavericks on defense were really, really good, really tight, really consistent. Everyone knew their positions, where they were meant to play each drive, whether it was man coverage, zone coverage, who was blitzing when. Really, Mavericks, like, the scoreline's not even reflective of it. Mavericks had two drop balls in the end zone. You know, it could have been a lot worse for Trinity on that day. Yeah, yeah, they got off light. I think we have to give a shout out to Larry the Legend, 17 years of age and two interceptions against QB Ben Dowling. Larry has been called up to the uh, Wolfhounds flag team and he had that Saturday before that game reading uh, reading Ben, seeing what his tells are and it really showed there on Sunday. He really capitalised on what he had learnt. Yeah, like two picks in the first half. You could see at half time, you know, Ben Dowling's head did drop after the picks Larry even nearly got a third one in the second half just ball just slipped through his hands but the man had an absolute cracker of a game you know trained consistently the whole way through the leaving cert there you know played every shield game was an absolute joy to watch out there any given Sunday Saturday any day of the week you're going to really enjoy watching that man play coming from being a basketball player in his younger days I know he's still only 17 but he's got an incredible vertical, excellent reading of the game, where quarterbacks are looking to throw, you know, who's in his zone. Outstanding player, like, and he's only going to get better, you know, at such a young age. Keeps growing on along the way he's growing. Hopefully growing physically as well, because he's all of, what, like, five, five, three, five, four. Still going to tear apart your team, though, and still going to look at you with his dead assassin eyes and get the job done. You know, he's not your height, Kelly. He's still taller than you. You know, he's about five, he's <laughs> five, five, he's five, seven. Um, but he's got a great vertical on him. Um, he's catching balls over the heads of guys who are, you know, over six foot. And he is not afraid of going for those contested catches. I don't think he's afraid of anything. No. The man shows no fear. No, like it, it all started off so great for the Mavericks and things were going, you know, you couldn't ha- ask for a better result against Trinity. However, game two, game two against... Oh, do we have to talk about game two? Yes, we do. We have to talk about game two against uh, the Mavericks' good friends over in Mullingar. That's the the Mullingar Minotaurs. So, 
unfortunately for the Mavericks, after such a success in game one against Trinity, the game against Mentors didn't go to plan. And this was actually one of the crucial games in deciding who made it to the playoffs. Both teams were sitting on uh, near enough equal records. If the Mavericks had won, they would have been 4-2. and two. If the Minotaurs had have won, they were going to be 4-2. and two. You know, it really did come down to this game to decide who was going to finish in third position in the multi-code flag shield uh, side of the draw. Yeah, not only did it come down just to this game, but it came down to the very last play of the game. And, ah, uh, like, being a Maverick, that is a tough way to lose. It is, it is, it is. And, like, at, throughout the game, you know, Mavericks, you know, were in control. Uh, at one point, they were 14 points up. And it just, you know, one pick, you know, here, another pick there, led to the, the mentors just getting back in the game. Um, like we said earlier in, in the show, uh, Jack Lynch there at wide receiver, scoring the winning touchdown, you know, with no time left on the clock, had a storm of a game, contested balls. He's, he's one of those players, you know, he'll fight for every catch. If you get the ball in his hands, even early, say on like a on a quick slant, you know he's getting yards. You can hit him two yards out, and he's going to get you seven to ten yards. He's got a great burner on him, and once those legs start moving, he's getting yards. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a great comeback win for the for the Minotaur is definitely disappointing for the Mavericks. They will be very disappointed. You know, they had it. This is quite reflective of nearly what happened against UCD, where the Mavericks would take the lead, then UCD scored. Mavericks take the lead again. UCD scored quick. Um, very disappointed. There's two games which the Mavericks themselves, I know, they feel like they should have won, but at the end of the day, the box score is what matters. And in this case, it was the Minotaurs making their way to the playoffs. You know, quarterback uh, Connor Brennan for the Minotaurs. Really holding holding it together, you know, steadying the ship. He was sacked, I think, at least two times. Didn't phase him. Kept calm. Kept kept cool. Kept collective in the pocket. Uh, and he might have the biggest arm in the league, but he's very accurate and he is picking out players, threading balls through the eye of a needle. Also, an incredible photographer. And if anyone is following uh, him on Instagram, you'll understand what I mean. Absolutely. A delight of a photographer. Delight of a page to follow. It's oh, some beautiful shots around Ireland. Fair play. Tourism Ireland. Ireland need to get on to him. <laughs> the football doesn't work out. <laughs> man got a career in photography. And then really to like wrap the weekend up in the flag scene was what was kind of billed as the battle for first place in the multi-code uh, side of the shield and that was between Trinity and the Rebels yeah I think this is the game that we were all looking forward to to see who was going to come out on top and Rob could you say knowing what happened now that you would have expected that honestly and this is you know with no disrespect towards Trinity I think and I think that most people will agree with me that you were going into that game expecting a Rebels win. I was certainly expecting a Rebels win. I would have had Rebels at the start, at the top of my power rankings from day one. From day one. You know, the Rebels have been like such consistent, so dominant of a team throughout this uh, Shield tournament. Uh, they were coming into this game with five wins. Mavericks were after beating Trinity. You know, if anything, I think that kind of acted as a bit of a catalyst for Trinity to get their act together and go into this game knowing that if they lost, 
they too could possibly be eliminated from the tournament. Yeah, well, by all accounts, Trinity actually started that next game as soon as the Mavericks game final whistle blew. I mean, they were turned on. They were indeed, like Rory O'Dwyer, credit to him, that man led that squad on the day. It's very difficult. I know I've been in huddles many, many times. We were trying to motivate players after a disappointing loss, but he got them and he was... It, it all started with, you know, both teams were wearing the same colour jerseys. The Trinity refused to turn their jerseys inside out or wear bibs. You know, it it went to a, a rock, paper, scissors between them and the Rebels. It was O'Dwyer against Ty Henry. Rory O'Dwyer came out with the win in that rock, paper, scissors game. He went back. His teammates were loving him. Yeah. He was pumped, you know. You could have said that he was going into a Super Bowl. He had that much energy and the aura around him. You know, he was vibing. When you can like easily solve a problem like that by turning your t-shirt inside out, your jerseys inside out, but you refuse to do it because it's your home pitch, that changes things. That brings the energy up. And that's him putting himself out on the line. And he's saying to his team, don't let me down. Don't make me look stupid. And then his team showing up for him in that way, like that has energy about it. Like Trinity... They had, they had a fire in them. Like we, we knew this was going to be a highly contested game, but they had a fire in them that I have not seen from any other team this league campaign. Yeah, I find with Trinity, they think a lot. They're a thinking team. They're looking at what other teams are doing when they're playing the games before them. They're adjusting things, you know, looking at what is UCD doing? What are the Mavericks doing? We need to adjust here. We need to do this. I feel like coming into this game, that went out the window. There was no thinking. It was just doing. I think they... Pure, raw passion. Yeah, and frankly, probably just pissed off that they'd lost. Absolutely, and they were. weren't going to do it again. That's it. They just decided they were not losing again. No, there was no way they were going to leave that pitch without a W. And they did it. Like, they put the score up. 33 points to 13. The Rebels weren't expecting it. Um, you know, the game itself, at times, it looked like a, a full contact game without pads, but they kept it together and they kept the heads. And at some points, that was nearly the deciding factor in it, the mental element of the game, to just keep a level head, you know, not let calls that go against you affect you. And that really did help them just, you know, steer the ship you had, like I said, Rory O'Dwyer, you know, leading the charge for them. Ben Dowling got back in the zone. He was slinging balls left, right and centre, finding his receivers, finding his targets, pushing that football down the pitch. It was an absolute classic of a game to watch. Yeah, especially against a team like the Rebels. So, I mean, they're fiery, they're passionate, but they're young as well and they are not used to losing. They're not even used to being down by a score. So if you go out and you get them on the back foot like that, they're going to be shell-shocked. And really, it just how do you respond to that? And I just don't think that they knew how to deal with that situation on the day. Yeah, like they, they've been so used to this entire Shield campaign nearly cruising along. This was the first time some other team has went up and literally just hit them straight in the mouth and been like, we're here to play football. Yeah. You know, heading into the playoffs, it is going to be very, very interesting. We've got the the Rebels going through who they topped the, their side of the, the shield table. Uh, then we've got Trinity who will be playing the Minotaurs in sort of a, a playoff game to, to decide who plays against the Rebels. But that shield tournament is so wide open. Like... We see the Minotaurs coming in third. 
seasoned flag football team if the likes of uh, Connor Brennan, uh, Jack Lynch and even Sean Dalton turn up on the day, they're in a strong position and they cannot be underestimated. Trinity, if they play with that fire, that passion, that aggression that they've played with against the Rebels, they are nearly certain to be pushing to win this tournament. And then you've got the Rebels who up until that final game were so consistent, so regimented, so well-disciplined. They just need to get back to where they were in that sort of cultural mindset. And they have, you know, an unbelievable chance to bring back the Shield tournament back to, back to the Rebels. Yeah, so Rob, I couldn't agree more with your analysis there, but I'm going to put you on the spot here because we have Trinity and the Minotaurs coming up. Minotaurs, I mean, Trinity, we see what they can do. They are so athletic, so high energy, fast paced and like a good, strong offensive team. Minotaurs, on the other hand, then offensively, yes, very strong, but just an awkward team to play against like I do not know how they do it but they are able to slow down offenses it's just very very difficult so who are you backing to go into the final with the Rebels it's a really really tough one to call you know like I say you cannot underestimate the Minotaurs if you let them get inside your head in any way you are facing an uphill battle and they are so good at doing they're, they're possibly the best team in the league at getting inside opposition's head you know everyone around the league knows it they know it you know play to your strengths minotaurs keep got a minotaur yeah however if i have to call it after seeing what i saw there the other day from trinity and that just like i said that pure passion raw aggression you know if they turn up on the day with that i have to back the i have to back trinity trinity not just to beat the minotaurs but to go on and then beat the Rebels again. Yeah, I mean, like, so probably if we're looking at power rankings, are we saying that the Rebels have moved down to spot number two and Trinity are at number one? It is a tough one, just because we see them nearly as the show's sort of favourite to win on the on the multi-code side of things. We have to put Trinity number one, followed by Rebels number two. There you go. You've heard it there now. We have new power rankings here in the domestic game in the multi-code flag. Number one, Trinity. Number two, Rebels. Number three, Minotaurs. And just remember, week one, I back Trinity. Okay, I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the domestic game. So... Uh, as always guys feel free to like share subscribe all of our social media channels subscribe to us on Spotify get in contact my email as always is kelly underscore dw at americanfootball.ae robbie's is robbie underscore ca at americanfootball.ae that's it from us I think uh, I'm Kelly Dwyer and I'm Robbie Caldwell and we're signing off thanks for joining us uh, 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 uh,